Chigoe, an only way podcast series focusing on current matters in the Mi'kmaq community. Hello and welcome. My name is Sean Doak. I'm a proud member of Lennox Island First Nation and communications officer with Olnaway. Welcome to Jigue. I'm your host, and today I'm speaking with the esteemed Julie Pellisier Lush, who wears many hats, um, some of which include Epicwit Poet Laureate, PEI's Poet Laureate, uh, the first Indigenous, I might add, uh, Olnaway's Knowledge Keeper. Uh, a mother, and I'm sure many more hats. And I just want to say, uh, Willalan, thank you uh, for joining me today, Julie. I know you're a very busy woman. Willalan, thank you so much, Sean, for having me. So in the spirit of National Indigenous Peoples Day, I was hoping we could talk about some of the wonderful things that we have happening here in Epiquit uh, culturally and as it relates to uh, the Mi'kmaq. And the first question, I guess, uh, just to open it up, what does it mean to you to be Mi'kmaq? For me to be Mi'kmaq, it is who I am, who my ancestors are, who my teachers are, who my elders are, how I want my kids to be, how I want my grandchildren to be, how I envision my great-grandchildren to be. It is the, it's the root of, of my culture, my spirituality, my faith, my reason when I get up in the morning and I see the world the way I do. It is my seven sacred teachings that I carry in my heart and I use them each and every day to, to move forward in a good way in this world and be a good person, good family member, a good community member, and a good representative for our nation when needed. Um, being Mi'kmaq for me is also trying to reconnect to my language because language is such a big part of your culture and with the loss of our language there's not very many here on this island who currently are fluent Mi'kmaq speakers and I, I feel that sense of loss very very greatly in my heart and I think that if there is any way that I can sort of contribute in even a small way to the resurgence of, of our language, of being able to see the world through Mi'kmaq words instead of the words that we've, a lot of us have ended up growing up with. I think that our world would just bloom and be something that we can relate to and have pride of, of just a little bit more if we could reconnect with language because language is such a big part of who we are indigenous people. Yeah, I've heard often, you know, language is at the heart of a culture and it it, it informs, you know, how you live your life and, uh, and how you think your thoughts. And so reconnecting and, and trying to revitalize our language is absolutely vital to being Mi'kmaq. And I see a lot of the great work that you and your family and friends do and even just with Mi'kmaq legends like you know I know that there's a lot of oral histories that are built into that too and language as well and maybe you could talk just a little bit about what Mi'kmaq legends is and, and what its purpose is. Mi'kmaq legends started out in 2009 as a project where I was commissioned to write eight uh, Mi'kmaq stories in, in poetic verse. And I took it as a challenge and I started writing. I did research. I looked at different places where our history was. I went to different elders 
And then in about 2011, our, our little idea suddenly grew into handing over these poems to a script writer named Kathy Elliott, who took these poems and transferred them into script. And by 2011, in I think it was October, we were rehearsing for our very first performance for the Mi'kmaq Confederacy of PEI's AGA. And it was down at the Murphy Center on the big stage and we had props and we had musical instruments and we had regalia and it was absolutely beautiful. The children loved it, the community loved it. And then all of a sudden it just started to bloom. We decided to embrace it and, and take it over. And we went from doing one show in a year to, to doing, I think, 20 the next year and then 40. Now we're doing over a hundred a year and just sharing and being uh, able to to show people our dance, our music, our, our language, our stories, and the big drum, of course, and now we have our hoops. So every year we grow and change and adapt and offer new things so that we always keep ourselves new because the theater companies usually don't exist for very long periods of time. And we have had since 2011, uh, a, a long standing, uh, build up of our group and I don't see it anytime soon sort of falling to the wayside we always have new performers joining the group and and the older ones usually stay with us too so it just keeps growing and improving and getting better and better that's incredible that's over a decade of sticking together in that theater company and developing that and I know that there's a lot of great performances and education that you've done through that to help people who are non-Indigenous uh, understand a little bit more about the Mi'kmaq. And as PEI's, as Epicwit's uh, Poet Laureate and the first Indigenous Poet Laureate here in PEI, there are many roles that you hold, Julie. And if you could talk a little bit about what it means to be the first Indigenous Poet Laureate, I mean, what does that mean to you? And, and I know you get to share your gifts in a different way with that as well. And, and I think that's just so fantastic. And uh, so what does it, I guess, mean to you to be the, the first Indigenous uh, Poet Laureate here in Epiquit? In 2018, around the end of the year, I got an email from the province of PEI under PEI Library Services. And they said, Julie, would you be interested in becoming our Poet Laureate? And without even a hesitation, I don't even think I... Uh, I stopped to blink. I just responded, yes. I said, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. And we had our first meeting. And the first meeting was, you know, I said, I don't have, you know, poetry books published. And I have hundreds and hundreds of poems that I've written over the years. And I love poetry. It's really captured and close to my heart. But I said, I don't have any poetry books. And she said, well, it's the spoken word element that we want to try to capture and utilize. And, and we want you to go and represent the province of PEI and go and promote the spoken word, the written word, and get people in our province excited about hearing stories and writing stories and being a part of it. And I definitely 110% said yes. And then uh, February, 2019, I had my uh, opening official uh, welcoming to the position, uh, the lieutenant uh, lieutenant governor's house at Fanning Bank, and 
I looked around the room because they'd asked me to invite, you know, friends and families and people that I wanted to be there. So I invited a lot of the people that I really looked up to in our communities. And I read A Way to, Pride, to Find the Pride Inside is a poem I wrote about an Indigenous young man looking to find a way that he could feel self-confident where he could find the pride. And in the poem, he finds uh, his doctor is indigenous. He sees his brown eyes and, and braided hair, and he feels that maybe this is something I could accomplish now. So I read that poem at that event. And as I looked out at the crowd, I could see, you know, Elder Judy Clark, and, and she was standing there and clapping for me. And there was Senator Brian Francis. And I looked around the room and I could see so many of our indigenous people that we look up to and that we respect and we and they were all there to celebrate this transition for me and it filled me up with so much pride and I and when I was interviewed on the radios a few times later I would always say that you know imagine this young girl from Lenox Island First Nation always had a dream that she would write poetry and always had a dream that she would write books and and here I am living my life so if I'm not one of those people that people could say oh I don't think I can do it well look Julie did it she she believed in it she believed in herself and she kept plugging away and now she's done it and and people are coming up to me now that my term is over and saying how do I do this I would love to to sort of keep going on the work that you started and keep promoting because it is only a three-year term and they actually granted me an extra year so it'll be a four-year term for me uh, in the midst of COVID, not that I stopped doing what I was doing because I just went online for many, many of my different things so that I would stay connected with, with uh, our community, that I'd stay connected with the non-Indigenous community and people still search up those videos that I created during COVID, which is actually really exciting because more longevity, the work that I did during COVID. Absolutely. And, you know, I just want to say, like, it is really inspiring to see everything that you're involved in Julie like as an indigenous person as even just myself you know like to see people um in these roles to see our people in these roles and uh and to know that you know it is kind of possible to make it up and uh and and do these things it's really inspiring to see for me um you know as a as a young man who's just trying to find you know his his way and coming to terms with his, you know, cultural identity that is sometimes difficult, you know, it really is. And, and it can be, you know, challenging at times and it's a journey. And I feel like when I see people such as yourself, it's, it's almost like a beacon, you know, on my journey, I could see that ahead. I could see you up there doing all these wonderful things and it makes it just seem that much more attainable. And uh, which wasn't always a reality for indigenous people, you know, for a long time, there was a lot of exclusion and discrimination. And so I, I think that, you know, the tide has turned now and, and there's, you know, people like, wonderful people like yourself in these positions that, you know, gives hope for, you know, the next generation, the, the youth and the children that are uh, to come. So uh, switching gears a little bit, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the engagement that you do, because you do so, so much uh, engagement with, you know, um, the schools and, and people's, you know, workplaces, and events and activities. And you do a really, really fantastic job from what I've seen of, of weaving the cultural component, um, you know, of being Indigenous into those events that wasn't always there. 
and educating people on the history of the Mi'kmaq and indigenous peoples. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the work that you do. I mean, I know it's such a wide scope, um, <laughs> but, but what is it like to do that work? And what kind of work are you involved in? If you could just give a sense. When I go out, I usually first like make sure that I have an idea of what they're looking for in terms of a presentation or a workshop, like more one-on-one, -on -one, more, more outreach where the group is working with me. And then I usually get, I send them a list of different things that I can offer them and then they'll pick it out. With the schools, it's, it's usually based on what they're learning in their curriculum at the time. And sometimes it's just easier to have an Indigenous person come in and speak about the things that are in their books or might not even be in their books, but they want the children to know. Right. So I go in and sometimes, like especially around September, I will be asked to go and talk about the orange t-shirts and we will spend an hour in each classroom and talk about the significance, the, the history of residential school in a gentle way, an age appropriate way as well. And we will we'll sort of bring this, this hidden truth that has been, like I said, hidden for so long, that it's now bringing it to the forefront and allowing even our children to have some knowledge of the things that have happened in the history for Indigenous people. And if it's around May, they, the high schools and maybe middle schools will ask me to come and talk about the MMIWG2S. And so I'll go and specifically talk about that. Some classrooms that aren't really sure or know what they're looking for will sometimes ask for something a little bit different, like our building blocks, our fundamental key values with our seven sacred teachings. I will go in and do a whole hour and a half presentation on what they mean to us. And then our young people are so smart and they're so quick that they realize that this uh, transfers beyond culture, these teachings, and that they can actually utilize a lot of these teachings as well. Respect, humility, love, wisdom, all of those things can be used by whoever is needing them or whoever resonates with them. Sometimes the teachers or community groups will ask for something a little bit deeper. And I have a presentation on reconciliation where I talk about the indigenous people before colonization and I break them up into the groups of our bundle. What is the key to our community, our children, our women, our two-spirited, our elders and our men. And then I take it after I've gone through all of those levels and explained how life was back then, then I take it to the next one where I talk about after colonization. And then that's where you can get a lot of the hard truths coming out and age appropriate, whichever one that I'm ending up doing at the time, I make sure that it's sort of, it has the, the truth in it because even our children are smart enough to know and we're trying to fluff over things. So to make sure that it's real and truthful and to be able to tell them about the history that affected our bundle, which is our, our language, our government, our, our, our music, our ceremony, all those things that are core values to who we are as a people that was impacted after colonization. And I break it down on what happened to each of those. And then I talk about our children after colonization, our women, our two-spirited, our elders, our men, all the things that were impacted in our community and how things have changed and altered from it. 
Then I take it to the next step and I think of the now and I think of my hopes for the future because I never want to leave anybody with this, this sense of, of gloom or the sense of things will never get better because they are. And we're moving forward together in a good way in so many areas. And I don't want people to feel that we are stuck there in that, that post-colonial uh, roundabout that you, you can't get out of. You're looped back and forth. I want people to, at the end of it, I take them through all those levels. Again, I talk about the bundle. I talk about schools in the Atlantic having indigenous languages their their key language in the school that would not have happened 30 years ago 40 years ago 15 years ago like all these things are resurging so when i i finish the presentation i leave it always on the positive when i talk about children healthy happy proud of who they are they see their their culture reviving and rejuvenating and in, in the people in their community around them and then we have our women strong and nurturing and loving and capable and becoming the leaders that they always were because we were matriarchal and then we have our, our two-spirited who we we drum and sing and bring our regalia and dance at the pride parade every year which is on uh July 23rd this year. So we already have it in our calendars and we're going to support all of our two-spirited LGBTQ community and be there and celebrate with them. And I see such a resurgence and an energy and a positive uh, pride in who they are. And that would not have happened 30 or 40 years ago either. So I, I support those 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 causes, I support the efforts of all these people who are working so hard to keep everything moving in the right way. And then look at our men and our men taking back their culture. They're doing their rituals. They're they're doing the moose hide campaign now, you know, promising to be good protectors, good, good men to to their families. And I see all of these things. So I never want to leave my presentations with any feeling of, of gloom and doom or I want them to always end with the positivity because I see the positivity. I see being invited to schools that wouldn't have happened before. I see being invited to community groups that never would have happened before. And why is they want to hear our story. They want to hear it told by us. They want to hear the true facts. And even if they're sometimes very, very hard to hear, they're taking that leap and I am so beyond proud of the fact that people are opening their hearts, their ears, their minds, and being able to listen to the stories that I know, even for us as Indigenous people who have known these stories for growing up and our whole lives, they're not easy to hear and they're not easy to tell, but we are at a spot right now where we can move together in a good way and share those stories. Absolutely. And I love that you you have that balance too. Like, I really feel like, you know, you, you, you talk about the past and where we have come from and, and how it was, and then, you know, balancing that with where we're at now and hope and positivity and optimism for the future, because, you know, I, I see it even just myself, you know, and I hear from my grandmother and other people that, you know, it hasn't always been like this, you know, indigenous culture hasn't always been celebrated and uplifted and, uh, and there hasn't always been an appetite for it. And so, you know, I do feel like I'm lucky to be living through this time where, where things are ramping up and have changed so much from what they were. And I do see it heading in a really positive direction. And, and it's all, you know, thanks to people like yourself, Julie, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Walalan, like, thank you so much for all that you do. 
it's very, very encouraging for me uh, as, as a young man who's trying to embrace his indigenous identity. You know, it's not easy, but uh, when, I, when I see things like this and, and I know that, you know, we're, we're on the right track, uh, I feel really good. So I, the last thing I'd like to just discuss a little bit is, is your role as knowledge keeper um, with Onwe and, and just in general in the community. And, um, and maybe you could just start with what a knowledge keeper is. For me, my understanding of knowledge keeper is somebody who sort of dedicated their life to learn the traditions, to learn the stories, to learn the protocols, and to try and live life in a good way. And as well as sort of being, it's like an elder in training. That's honestly what you, I sort of see it as being. If somebody is identifying you as a knowledge keeper, then they know that you are one that is holding the stories, that's holding the truths, that's holding the knowledge. And as a knowledge keeper for only way, my role is to provide that cultural knowledge when needed and when asked for. And sometimes when it's not even asked for, when you just sort of side note about something that's important that could have been missed or omitted. I sit on a lot of committees to make sure that our, our Indigenous voices are being heard on different things that are being talked about all across PEI. I sit on different... Uh, boards to make sure that our voice is still heard being a part of it. I provide ceremony when needed, whenever there are special guests that come to our office and we want to ensure that they know that, you know, we are following these meetings by the protocols of offering them an opportunity to have an opening prayer, to smudge if they need to smudge, to, to have a, a song or a poem or something to connect everybody in their in their hearts, their minds, their souls, so that they can move forward through the meeting in a good way. And that's always our intention when they come to Illinois, that they know that this is a place where their voices will be heard and knowledge will be shared. So that is sort of my role there. And I promote cultural learning, which means that I go to different places, sometimes with uh, some of my coworkers, and we, we just provide information that's being requested by Only Way. Specifically, I remember once going to one hour presentation just on land acknowledgement and what it meant for this organization. And so I did a, a presentation for them just on land acknowledgement and, and what it would mean for them and what are the next steps? How do I even go beyond just a land acknowledgement? And I actually did a lot of research and a lot of work on that so that I could get, provide them some information. Like instead of just saying the words at the opening of a, a meeting, why don't you put the land acknowledgement in a frame and put it by your front door so that whenever an Indigenous person walks in, they look. That's just one step a little bit more than just having a land acknowledgement. So being there as a resource for Illinois and all the workers there, as well as being a resource for the outside community who might not understand the protocols and want a little guidance on when do I give an elder tobacco during the ceremony? When like being that person that they can come to and talk to. Um, yeah, the information on certain protocols, promoting cultural learning, and just being there. I always add this in, and I don't know. Um, I try to provide this as well, and I always say, have a be a voice of love and guidance when needed. And honestly, if anybody need 
anything or even just a hug during COVID, it was a little bit harder to do that one, but just being there to, to be there when people might be going through something challenging in their own personal lives and know that they're not alone, because being a knowledge keeper also means that you're looking after their emotional needs as well. So making sure that they know that there's somebody there for them. Mm -hmm. And we so appreciate everything that you do, Julie. It is, it is if, if only the world had more Julies, um, we would, uh, we'd be very well off. Um, but I, I just want to say, um, you know, it's been so fantastic to talk with you about all these things. And there, I'm sure there are many more that we could talk about. And I would like to uh, maybe do a podcast with you in the future, just on the seven sacred teachings um, and, and, and what they mean and, and how they came to be and all that. We could dive right in. It would be, I'm sure, a whole episode. Um, and I would love to do that with you at some point in the future. But I just want to say, Willalan, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Julie. Thank you so much, Sean. Willalan, thank you. And Willalan, to all those who are listening and stay tuned for our next monthly episode. Sitnogama on my relations. To find out more about Ulnui and the Megamot Rights reconciliation process, visit ulnui.ca.